The scripture today is from Exodus 12, 1 through 13, 28 through 30. The Lord said to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, this month shall be for you the beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year for you. Tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. And if the household is too small for a lamb, then he and his nearest neighbor shall take according to the number of persons. According to what each can eat, you shall make your count for the lamb. Your lamb shall be without blemish, a male, a year old. You may take it from the sheep or from the goats, and you shall keep it until the 14th day of this month, when the whole assembly of the congregation of Israel shall kill their lambs at twilight. Then they shall take some of the blood and put it on the two door put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. They shall eat the flesh that night, roasted on the fire with unleavened bread and bitter herbs, they shall eat it. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roasted, its head with its legs and its inner parts. And you shall let none of it remain until the morning. Anything that remains until the morning you shall burn. In this manner you shall eat it with your belt fastened, your sandals on your feet, and your staff in your hand, and you shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. For I will pass through the land of Egypt that night, and I will strike all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, both man and beast, and on all the gods of Egypt I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The blood shall be a sign for you on the houses where you are. And when I see the blood, I will pass over you, and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. Then the people of Israel went and did so, as the Lord had commanded Moses and Aaron, so they did. At midnight, the Lord struck down all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on his throne, to the firstborn of the captive who was in the dungeon, and all the firstborn of the livestock. And Pharaoh rose up in the night, he and all his servants, and all the Egyptians, and there was a great cry in Egypt, for there was not a house where someone was not dead. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Ashley. Good morning, everybody. Yeah, it's really good to be here. I recognize some familiar faces, and it's good to see all of you again. Um, Mike sort of put the bar up high for this message, so... We'll see if it meets those expectations. Exodus chapter 12, we're going to talk today about the Passover. Um, I read uh, not long ago about an organization in L.A. that operates an apology sound-off line. I don't know if you've heard about this, but it's a phone number that people can call if they feel the need to apologize for something that they did wrong. 200 people a day call that number. They confess to having an affair, to stealing from their employer, even to things like rape and child abuse. A few people have even confessed to murder, believe it or not. An alcoholic called that apology sound off line and he said this, I'd like to apologize to all the people that I hurt in my 18 years as an addict. One young woman called that line, she was sobbing over the phone because she had caused a car accident in which five people died. 
And she said, I just want to say, I'm sorry. I wish I could bring them back. You know, we're all very different in many different ways, but everybody in this room in some way feels guilty about something. Something you've done perhaps years ago. Something you've failed at. Something you could be doing better now. I go through periods where I feel terribly guilty for things that I did to hurt my children. What about you? What is it for you? What causes you to lose sleep at night because you feel guilty and shame for those things that didn't go well? Let me pray for us and then we'll dive into our study. Father, I thank you for this morning's opportunity to study your word together. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. We pray now that you'll send your spirit and let him point us ever more tightly to Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. First, an overview. What's going on here in Exodus chapter 12? Well, you've, many of you have probably seen Cecil B. DeMille's famous movie, The Ten Commandments. If you haven't seen that one, you've probably seen the animated film, The Prince of Egypt. So you have something of a handle on the story of the Passover and the Exodus and all of that. And it's really cool that you guys are studying the book of Exodus. I don't know that I've ever, in my own ministry, taken a church through the book of Exodus. So way to go, Mike and Joe and others. So that's really good. So anyway... As you probably know, the people of God who were called the Israelites had been enslaved in Egypt for over 400 years. And the Egyptian pharaoh, possibly Amenhotep II, made their lives very bitter and very hard. So God raised up Moses, who looked a lot like Charlton Heston, to deliver Israel from Egypt. But the Egyptian king, the pharaoh, refused to let them go. So God brought nine plagues upon Egypt, right? And you can read about those in Exodus 7 through 10. Quick list of the nine. Rivers turned to blood, frogs, gnats, flies, plague upon cattle, boils, hail, locusts, darkness. Could have thrown love bugs in there somewhere, I'm sure. But each time, Pharaoh dug in his heels and wouldn't let the people of Israel go. So in Exodus 11, the chapter previous to this one we're looking at, God announced to Pharaoh that he was going to bring a tenth and final plague upon Egypt. And as you heard, read a moment ago, it was death to the firstborn. In verses 4 and 5 of chapter 11, it says that about midnight I will go out into the midst of Egypt and every firstborn in the land of Egypt shall die. From the firstborn of Pharaoh who sits on the throne even to the firstborn of the slave girl who is behind the handmill, and all of the firstborn of even the cattle. Horrible, horrible, right? And sure enough, all of the firstborn children, and it was probably the male firstborn. There's a lot of reasons for that you could dive into if you wish to, but all of these firstborn children in the land died during that plague. 
But in Exodus 12, our chapter this morning, God gives the people of Israel a way of protection. And it's called the Passover. He said, I want, to take, I want every family to take a lamb, a year old male lamb or goat, without blemish or defect, and kill it. And then I want every family to put the blood of that lamb into a bowl and dip a bunch of hyssop into that bowl. And I want you to use that hyssop to put the blood of that lamb across the top and down the sides of the doorway in each of your houses. And God said, when I see the blood, in verse 13, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you when I strike the land of Egypt. And of course, from that time on, Passover became an important annual part of Jewish life and culture. So as I thought about how we should look at this chapter, I decided that we should talk about guilt. We're going to look at it through the lens of guilt, because if you don't understand guilt, you won't really understand the plagues on the Egyptians or the Passover of Exodus chapter 12. So here are the two things I want to talk about. I want to say, first of all, that guilt is real. And secondly, that it has one and only one remedy. So that's what we're going to look at. Let's start with the first one. Guilt is real. Guilt is real. That is to say, guilt is objective. It's not just an emotion that people feel sometimes. You know, we usually think of guilt as a feeling of remorse. In fact, I looked online for a definition of guilt, and almost every single entry on Google talked about guilt as a feeling. And it is that. Guilt feelings are real too. And guilt feelings can be good or bad. Uh, they are good things when you've done something wrong and you need to make it right. God gave us a conscience so that when we do something wrong or hurtful to ourselves or others, we feel guilty and we can do something about it. We can address it. And the Bible calls that godly sorrow in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 because it leads to repentance. That's why we confessed our sins earlier today. Perhaps you, I, felt some guilt feelings about a sin we had committed even this morning or yesterday or sometime this past week. And so as Mark led us through a time of praying our prayer of confession, it was a time to repent, as Mark mentioned. Guilt feelings can be good, but they can also be bad. Guilt feelings can be misleading. If you feel guilty because of things done to you by others, or when you get blamed for things that you didn't do, or for things that have already been forgiven in the past, that's not biblical guilt. The Bible calls that worldly sorrow. I call it self-loathing guilt. It's the first cousin of shame. Guilt, bad things I've done, shame, I'm bad, right? And so this worldly sorrow can lead to those feelings of shame, and it's crushing. It leaves wounds that are difficult to heal. And I'm guessing as I look out at you this morning, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. You carry undeserved guilt feelings, and I'll have more to say about that later. But for now, let's focus on guilt as an objective fact or condition or state of being, okay? 
because it is a fact as well as a feeling. The fact of guilt results whenever somebody does something wrong or violates a law or a rule. And in the religious context in which we're worshiping this morning, it's breaking the law of God. Sometimes you feel guilty because you really are guilty. You really have done something that God considers disobedience. Our secular culture, I realize, is averse to this idea that there is such a thing as objective guilt because so many people don't accept the notion that there is absolute right and wrong. But there is. Think about it with me this morning. Why did God kill the firstborn of Egypt? Well, it's because the Egyptians had ignored the Lord and they had worshipped and served other gods. Furthermore, they were cruel and inhumane. They had mistreated God's people for over 400 years and refused to let them go. When Moses had told them to, even after God sent them warning and warning and warning, and the whole nine list of plagues were God's reaching out in mercy, giving them one more chance and one more chance, and they did not respond. In other words, the Egyptians were guilty. That's why God says in verse 12 of our passage this morning, on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. So guilt is an objective condition or a state of being. It is a fact as well as a feeling. Now in the second place, I want you to know that guilt is also universal. Not only objective, but universal. I want you to notice that God's judgment does not fall just upon some people or some classes of people, but upon everyone in Egypt. Look at verse 29. It says, As at midnight the Lord struck down, what's the word? All, all the firstborn in the land of Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh who sat on his throne to the firstborn of the captive in the dungeon and all of the firstborn of the livestock. See, taking the firstborn in every family and the firstborn of all the cattle was God's way of saying, you're all guilty. You're all under my judgment. The firstborn, you see, represented the whole household. Verse 30 says that there was not a house where someone was not dead. Terrible. And not only that, think about this. What would have happened to one of these Jewish families if they had not put the blood of the Passover lamb on their doorway? The angel of death would have taken their firstborn too. They would have been under the judgment of God as well because the Israelites were guilty like the Egyptians were. The history of Israel both before and after Exodus 12 is a history of sin and rebellion against God. They deserved punishment just like the Egyptians. The Bible says there is no one righteous, not even one. All have turned away. There is no one who does good, not even one. That's in Romans 3. I remember when my friend who led me to Jesus back when I was a college student told me that I was a sinner and deserved the wrath of God. Now look, that was something I had never been told. I was raised in a church. 
And I never understood that I personally was guilty of sin against God. And so I defended myself to him and I said, no, I am a good guy. I go to church, I do good things, I have good thoughts. But the more he spoke to me, the more God used him and Romans 3.23, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God to lead me to repentance, to an understanding, to a sense of my objective guilt before the throne of the Lord. Guilt, you see, is a real thing. It is objective and it is universal. Well, that's the bad news. I could leave now and that would be terrible, wouldn't it? <laughs> that's the bad news because here's the good news. There is a remedy for guilt. There's a remedy for guilt. You know what? People have come up with all sorts of remedies for guilt. I actually saw an ad one time for a product called Grief and Guilt Remover. It's available from a company called LuckyVitamin.com. <laughs> it comes <laughs> LuckyVitamin.com. It comes in a two-ounce spray bottle, and it'll cost you $9.95. Now, there are more common ways that are not so funny that people try to deal with their guilt. There's, of course, denial. Let's put on a happy face and just act like all is well and hope the guilt will go away, but it doesn't. Some medicate it with alcohol, drugs, other addictions. Some try to escape it through work or pleasure or shopping or sex or study or exercise or looking good or going on a vacation. You name it. There are many different pursuits that people do. If you peeled away the layers, you probably would find out that they're trying to get away from, from guilt. Others try religion. You ever thought about that? Do you know that there are a lot of things done in the name of God by people who are driven by guilt? But tragically, some opt for despair or even suicide. My family and I lived in St. Louis back in the 1980s. It's where I went to seminary. And in a single week, I'll never forget this, the city was shaken by the suicides of two very prominent people. One was a man by the name of Bob Richards, he was the weatherman on one of the local network TV stations. He had been caught having an affair, and the news was all over town. And the other man was a PCA pastor by the name of Aegon Middleman. Aegon had just had an unfavorable five-year review by the elders. Both of these men were under such a heavy cloud of guilt and unhappiness that the only way they could see was to take their own lives. Friends, you don't have to deal with your guilt any of those ways. For one thing, they don't work. And for another thing, there is a remedy that work, works every single time. A remedy for guilt that is thoroughly effective. It's called putting your trust in an innocent substitute. If you will do that, you will find a remedy for guilt that will work every time and it will work forever. Let's go back and rev uh, revisit this Passover story and you'll see what I mean. Verse 3, God tells Moses, Moses, tell all the congregation of Israel that on the 10th day of this month, which was the month Nisan, every man shall take a lamb according to their father's houses, a lamb for a household. Verse 5, your lamb shall be without blemish. 
a male, a year old. Kill it at twilight, he says in verse 6. Verse 7, take some of the blood and put it on the two doorposts and the lintel of the houses in which they eat it. And verse 13, when I see the blood, Moses, when I see the blood, I will pass over you and no plague will befall you to destroy you when I strike the land of Egypt. See, the Passover lamb served as a substitute, a vicarious blame taker for the people of Israel. God permitted the death of an innocent, spotless animal to remove the guilt of Israelites. The blood on the doorway was not just a signal to the angel of death as he passed overhead. I used to think that way. You know, I, I thought the, the angel of death passed over the land, looked down, and saw blood on these different houses, and it sort of made him skip over that as though you could put anything on their house. You could raise a flag. You could paint an X on the roof. I used to think it was just a signal, but that's not true. If that's all it was, anything could have done it, but it wasn't possible for anything but the blood of the lamb to symbolize the vicarious death of a substitute. And that's why God could pass over these houses. But let's dig deeper. Because wait just a minute. I said the, the lamb of the Passover was an innocent substitute for the people of Israel. But was the lamb really innocent? Can an animal be innocent? How can a lamb be innocent? Only a human being who has been tempted just like we are and yet maintains his integrity can truly be said to be innocent. Only a human being who obeys the law, who feels the pressure to sin and says no to it, can truly be called innocent. And then here's another problem. This Passover ceremony had to be reenacted every single year. Just like all of those animal sacrifices that you read about in the Old Testament, there was a sense that the guilt wasn't really gone because they had to be offered all over again the next day or the next week or the next month or the next year. So the Passover lamb, while it was a good substitute, was not a perfect substitute. First, it was an animal and not a human being. And secondly, it never really dealt with sin and guilt once and for all. So you know where I'm going with this, right? Who are we really reading about in Exodus 12? We're reading about the innocent Lamb of God. This Passover Lamb pointed forward to Jesus Christ. He's the perfect substitute. He is the one who removes our guilt. He's the remedy for our guilt. Remember what John the Baptist said the first time he saw Jesus? Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And you remember where Jesus was the night before he was crucified? He was in an upper room eating a meal. It was the Passover meal. And Jesus passed a, a loaf of bread around and said, this is my body, which is for you. Take and eat. And passed a cup and said, this blood is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. 1 Corinthians 5, 7, it's also printed in your bulletin, 
says, Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. Christ, our Passover lamb, has been slain. So in Exodus 12, lambs were killed instead of sons. But at the cross, a son was killed instead of lambs. Why? To satisfy divine justice and to bring us into relationship with God. That's why. To pay the penalty for our sin and take our guilt away once and for all. Jesus was the Passover lamb to end all Passovers. He is the remedy for your guilt. But now I'm going to talk about guilt feelings. Because that's kind of where we live every day with not only the objective fact of our guilt, but in how we deal with it emotionally and mentally and spiritually. So let me say something about guilt feelings. I particularly want to talk to two different groups of people who may be here this morning. First group are those of you who may not feel guilty, but should. I'm thinking of any of you who has never yet said yes to Jesus Christ. I don't know all of you, and I suspect there may be some who have actually never admitted your sins to God and turned away from them and committed your life to Jesus Christ. Maybe you would be like I was back in college if I asked are you a, do you understand you're you're a sinner and you might defend yourself and say no I'm a good person because you've never really done business with God that way. I want you to know God really loves you, but you are not a good person. You've fallen short of the glory of God. You're a sinner. You've broken God's law and you're living your life for yourself instead of for God. You know what? You're in danger. You really are in danger. You're in the same spot that those Egyptians were in in Exodus chapter 12. One day the angel of death is going to come your way. And you are not ready if you've never said yes to Jesus. Turn from sin and trust it in Christ. You need your sins forgiven. <laughs> but listen, guess what? You don't have to kill a lamb. You don't have to try harder to be a better person. What you must do is get under the blood. Under the blood of Jesus, that is. By doing A, B, C. Admit the truth. You are a sinner. B, Believe the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross to deal once and for all with your sin and see, commit, commit your life to him. Follow after him with all your heart, best you know how. That way, your guilt can be removed. And you can begin to actually admit your guilt. You know, it, we're free to admit our guilt. That's why we confess sins every Sunday in church and hopefully more often. It's okay to say, God, I'm sorry, because you're looking into the face of a God who loves you and will never stop accepting you in Jesus. The second group I want to talk to this morning is those of you who do feel guilty and should not. 
Did you hear about this little boy? This is the saddest story I think I've ever heard. The little boy, he was a little boy during the New York City blackout of 1977. During this blackout, this little boy was scared to death. He was absolutely beside himself with guilt and shame. And when his parents asked him why, what was bothering you so much, he confessed that at the exact moment when the lights went out in New York City, he had kicked a power line pole. And so this little kid thought that he was responsible for the blackout of New York City. No wonder he was beside himself. And they were able to comfort him and tell him, it wasn't your fault. But some of you think are, you are like that little boy. You believe in Jesus. With all your heart, you trust that he died on the cross for you. You've admitted to Jesus that you're a sinner, that you need his help, and you know you can't make it without him. But you still feel guilty all the time. When you wake up in the morning, when you go to bed at night, when you're at school, when you're at work, when you're at home, guilt follows you. Guilt talks to you, guilt haunts you, guilt paralyzes you. And it's not because of anything specific you can put your finger on. It's because of who you are. I want you to know that those kinds of guilt feelings are not the will of God. Romans 8, 15 says, You did not receive the spirit of slavery again to fear. Christ. Your Passover lamb has been slain for you. He has taken the guilt that you feel away. He put it on himself and he gave you his righteousness. So that when God looks at you, he smiles, he beams with joy. Even when you're at your worst. Even when you have failed him, he accepts you and loves you with an everlasting love. You are in Christ. And you can't do anything to get out of him because of the good news of the gospel. So when those guilt feelings haunt you, here's what I want you to do. We actually sang about it earlier today. I want you to imagine a doorway over you. It's the, it's the Passover lamb doorway, if you will. Just imagine that on that doorway is the blood of Jesus. And a voice speaks from heaven and says, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And you might sing part of this song we sang. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look. And there's the doorway. Upward I look and see him there who made an end to all my sin. Christian, go free, free of guilt and shame. Bask in the sunshine of the love of God. When you're objectively guilty, yes, bring it to God. Say, I, I'm, I'm sorry, I hate my sin, I turn away, I come back to you again. And once again, you're in the arms of a father who never left you not for a single moment. Let's pray. Father, how thankful we are today for the gospel, the good news of Jesus, whose love for us is what we live on and hope in every moment. Thank you, Jesus, that you are our Passover lamb. 
And I pray today for anyone in the crowd who is yet to put his or her trust in you. Lord, let this be the day in which they admit their sin and believe in Christ and commit themselves to follow after you. And then, Lord, we pray for those of us, me included, who struggle, who wake up almost every day looking guilt in the face. Lord, help us to look up and see the doorway. Better yet, see the cross and the blood of Jesus that covers and removes our guilt. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.